Thank you that we have, through Jesus, a rock-solid foundation upon which we can live this life. That you are no longer angry at us, that you have removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And so I pray that we would find our deep identity such that we can repent freely. Now, this is a most neglected subject in the church today. And I pray that you would help us understand repentance as a lifestyle. And give us, Lord, uh, give us, Lord, deep humility, courage, and a burning love. We ask these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, today I want to cover some important subjects related to the Corinthians and your life. And so we've been looking at this idea of repentance. Now, typically people in the church think of repentance as something that's really um, kind of a, uh, a needed thing when someone has gone off the rails in their Christian life. You have to talk to the elders about something serious, and at times that is needed and important. But I want to encourage you that repentance is to be a, a lifestyle in the church, in, in your life as an individual Christian. Now, you are not your performance in the Christian life. Um, you are not your achievements in life or even your achievements in the Christian life. You are not defined on a success-fail basis about how much progress you've made or feel like you haven't made in the Christian life. Uh, you are, by faith, what Jesus has declared you to be, and that is you are his righteousness. You are declared righteous in the sight of God through Jesus alone. That's the doctrine and beautiful truth of justification. Now, justification is not one doctrine that's sort of important. It's the key doctrine for the living of the Christian life. It's the foundation. We in this building uh, need a good foundation underneath us. And when this building was being constructed, I saw the foundation. Before the, the carpet was here, there's a foundation. There really is a foundation down here. And that foundation is, is critical and important because this building couldn't stand without it, right? Well, and just like you might perhaps stumble inside this building, I hope you don't, but you might stumble inside this building sometime, you'll never fall out of it. Uh, there's good walls here and the foundation is sure. So we might stumble in the Christian life, but you will not ever fall out of it. Now, that's the good news. That's the foundation for your life. And now you can. Your identity is not caught up in your, your precise theology. Maybe you love precise theology. Well, that's not how you're justified. Your fa the foundation of your life is not in being a, in a particular branch of the, of the church, though it's good and nice to be part of the Presbyterian church. We're a little twig in this big tree, but it's a nice twig. All right, so, but that's not how you're justified, see? Now, we should all have a sense of, okay, I feel a little relieved now, right? We have nothing to defend. And so if you're Scottish Presbyterian, well, I'm glad you're Scottish Presbyterian, but it means nothing. It doesn't serve any righteousness for you. You need the, this beautiful Savior for you, all right? 
Okay, so this is for for all of us to be reminded every time we get together that it's only through the beauty of Jesus that we are beautiful. It's only through his work that we've been established as righteous in God's eyes. Okay, so all that said, um, and we won't, we don't ever move beyond that, by the way. We want to keep remembering that. But that's a foundation. That's a rock-solid foundation to repent and to embrace repentance as a lifestyle. To be okay with, well, there's some hardness in my heart. There's, a lack, there's some lack of love in my heart. There's a disregard for God's word. There's a disregard for a commandment. There's a disregard to love my neighbor as myself. Well, it's been revealed to me. That doesn't crush me. It doesn't destroy me. It is, oh, that's the sinner that Jesus came to save. Oh, that's what it looks like to have a hard heart. Oh, that's what the flesh can do in me, right? So we want to, we're all discovering, we're all discovering in the Christian life um, the sinner that God saved, right? That's, that's it. So we just are, we're just exploring this and learning about this. And so I'm learning these things. And, um, my wife certainly is learning about the sinner that she married. So this is the progress in the Christian The progress in the Christian life looks strange. It has a little strange quality to it because it seems like it has a lot of uh, starts and stops and ups and downs and feels like, are we even making any progress? Well, there is a grace available for you continually because God is not finished with you. And it never was, ba- the Christian life was never based on your performance and it's not based on your performance even now. And so the foundation is secure, very secure. Now, I want to talk about humility, courage, and burning love. Now, this comes, these three ideas, let's give full credit. Uh, Tim Keller came up with these three subjects. There's actually more in this one, uh, that's about a two-page thing, on repentance. So early on in the ministry in New York City, uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City started in 1989, if I got that right. And Repentance, a, a book, a, just a short little summary of Repentance was was critical for the foundational truths of that of that particular church, and and why that why that church was effective in impacting the culture and reaching non Christians was that. Christians were understanding repentance. Christians were understanding repentance. So when non-Christians came and attended the worship service, they were surprised because what they thought they would see is sort of hypocrisy. They thought they would see squeaky clean people who are not really squeaky clean because after all, I work with that guy. Um, and, And they thought they would see on display sort of this, you know, hypocrisy. But what they saw was Christians repenting preaching on repentance regularly, and people feeling somewhat comfortable with the idea of admitting where they fall short and glorifying the beauty of Jesus in their midst. And that was a that, that threw the non-Christians off because Christians were acknowledging where they fell short, but also acknowledging the the, the goodness of God in their midst. So Look at, look at this. The first question I have for you on the outline, and I, and I have some details to cover with you a little bit later about the Tim Keller stuff, the deep humility, wise courage, 
and burning love. So let's take a look at these questions. Humility, courage, and burning love. Now let's look at our text. Let's take a look at our text. Verse 11, that's all I'm going to be looking at primarily today. Again, verse 11, our little workshop on repentance keeps going here. See what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. Earnestness. Now, earnestness can describe all three of these qualities. There's a humility. They've admitted they they were wrong. The Corinthian church had a, a situation of immorality in their church, and they addressed it, and they acknowledged. And they also had real issues with Paul's authority, and they have acknowledged that he is their apostle, and they need to listen to him. But notice, Paul says, what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves. Okay? Now, that's a courage. There's a courage there, right? Courageous. To clear oneself doesn't mean they were innocent. It means that they want to do what's ever needed, what's needed to make things right. Okay? Make things right. What indignation indignation. Now, this is an inward look at themselves. They're not critical of Paul. They're not looking out at other people, making excuses. They're indignant, realizing that they had decided that made a foolish decision, and they're sort of turning inward on themselves. And they're they're being honest in humility, and acknowledging how foolish they were. Right? How foolish they were. Now. Keep going on. What fear, what longing, what zeal. What fear, what longing, what zeal. They're willing to to face the consequences. They're willing to acknowledge their fault. They have a burning love for Paul. It's been renewed. It could be described as zeal. They're, they're coming, listen to this, they've disregarded Paul, the one who planted the church. They've gone their own way. They've found even their own, Paul calls them super apostles. They kind of found their own way. We, we can do this church thing. Paul, we got it, we got it. So they, they disregarded their own apostle. And now they've got to turn and say, we, we messed up, we were wrong and reestablish the relationship with them. Have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever tried to to reestablish a relationship where you have sinned against them, right? Well, that's not easy to do, right? You might come up with some excuses. You might come up with some, you you want to get the relationship back, but you're not really willing to admit your full part of it. You you do some clever things to sort of hide or not fully disclose, right? But you you, you can't quite figure out how to do it. In repentance... We can admit we are total, we, how God found us is what we want to remember. How God found us is what we want to remember, okay? So, so it always helps me to remember, here I am preaching today, what am I doing up here, how did I get here, what happened in my life, it always helps me because I'm prideful, I can look to other things than God to sort of establish me up here, which is really ridiculous, but I do it. I can, I don't know, I got, uh, I got some degrees in Bible training. Does that qualify me? Uh, you know, I've had experience. 
um, does that qualify me, right? And all this, and so you want to, you kind of want to run somewhere, you know, run somewhere. I want respect, you know, so these are my degrees and this is my experience, therefore, right? And what would happen if I just said, well, all that stuff is just, if I've learned anything, it just meant that I needed a lot of years to learn it. <laughs> if I had to learn the Bible and I had to go to a, a seminary to learn the Bible, that just speaks to my own waywardness of my heart. Because really, everything I could have learned in seminary, if I was really disciplined, I could have read all the books and I could have done it on my own. But I'm such a wayward, slothful person that I needed a structure and I needed tests and I needed exams and I needed to pay for it. How about that? So I'd be committed to it. And then for me to be involved in the church, I was such a fool and so inadequate and so unable to help people that God had to give me a gift, the gift of teaching, so I could function in the church. See what I'm doing here? See, I'm dismantling my pride. I'm doing it right in front of you. So what does it mean that I have a seminary degree? Well, it just means that I needed to have the discipline to go to a school because otherwise I would never have done it. That's what it means. And what I can do is I can forget my justification and I can become really a cranky, defensive person and I start going into something as if I know something. Well, when God found me, I was an utter fool and I'm recovering from my foolishness. And somehow my foolishness is probably affecting this moment right now, and God, by his grace, is overruling it. So we have to remember our core foolishness, our core. We don't have wisdom. Everything we have has been borrowed, everything, every aspect of us. So this is vitally important. Now, what Paul's rejoicing in, he's rejoicing, is that they are catching on to their justification. They are not identifying themselves in any other way than in Christ. They're okay. They can now confess their sin, and it's not going to destroy them. This is good stuff. Now, this is not easy just to preach it, just to teach it. It is not easy. You have to work at this. You have to work at this. So let me continue on, just remind us once again, how does our scripture text demonstrate repentance as deep humility, wise courage, and burning love? Read verse 11 once again. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. That sincere love. To be earnest means I'm I'm not going to give up. I've harmed you. I've sinned against you. I want to make it right, Paul. And church, we leaders have not led you well, whatever the Corinthians had to say to their church, and they are earnest about it, earnest. Now, most of the time when it comes to repentance, we Christians want a prescription. So the husband comes in, husband and wife in for counseling. The husband realizes he's not been loving his wife as he should. So so then you have this impulse, okay, what can I do to fix this? 
So, uh, well, have you heard of the uh, uh, love languages? Yes, you need to learn your your wife's love language. Re- read that. That'll work. Uh, have you? Uh, do you have? Do, do you do a date night? You got to do a date night. And then, have you thought about flowers? Have you th- flowers. I mean, you know, my wife doesn't like flowers, but she likes uh, she likes a clean house. Okay, clean ha- clean the house. And so you go on and on. You have this. See what it is? Is that I'm I'm a, like a pharmacist. All right. Okay. I got I got it right here. So I, I dispense it, right? I dispense it. And that, that, that dispensed prescription uh, approach is what we kind of want. And what you do in those situations, you say, well, what would, it, what would it look like for you to repent? No prescription. See, if I were to prescribe to a husband, look, flowers, man, I'm telling you, flowers, or the date night thing, or this love language thing, you got to speak her love. I'm telling you, it works. Right? I'm telling you. And if I would, then what would happen after six months? This guy's listening to me, which is a miracle in itself. And 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 after six months, his wife has something else to say to him about some area where he could improve. And you know what he does? He says, "Honey, you know we've had six months of date nights. I've got the flower thing, and I got and what he does is that all that will do is set up his righteousness." And so you still can't dethrone the God that's within that man who thinks he's God. And you certainly will not do it by giving him a prescription because that's what he wants. The prescription is a way to get off the hook of being seen as a sinner again. I am am at my core. I do not want to love my wife. Can we admit that in the pastor's office? You can do it with me. Can we talk that way where we look deep in our hearts and say, I do not want to love the lost. I don't want to be around them. I don't like them. They're not like me. I have nothing in common with them. And what we have to do at that moment is drive drive the gospel right into our hearts. The first kid... When I was a young, uh, a young college kid and going to a Christian college, and uh, I was working with a, a large church in Southern California, and we went rock climbing with an 11th grade class of, of boys, and juniors in high school. And I turned to this kid in the van, and we had all this outreach going on. I turned to this kid, and his name was John. I remember him. And I said, John, aren't there some guys that you could be bringing to these rock climbing things or some, these pizza things? And, uh, you know. So was, you know, bring, bring some of your buddies from, from school. I just talked to him, you know, just talked to him. And he said to me, I don't have anything in common with them. So this is my first a- uh, attempt at theology, I guess. I don't know what it was. So I, I, or, or, I don't know what. I, I said to him, I said, I said, John, what did Jesus have in common with us? This is, the, this is where the Christian gets off track. They forget the core of the gospel is that God came after you and had nothing in common with you as a sinner. Nothing. But made himself like you in order to relate to you, in order to rescue you. And for us to acknowledge how do we make progress in the Christian life, where do we get this earnestness from chapter, uh, verse 11? earnestness earnest that's traction that's movement man 
You, you, you have a Christian who's earnest. They're, they're, they're pushing through doors. They're knocking down walls. Earnest people. An earnest person who wants to reach the lost. Earnest person who wants to build up someone else in the, in the church. Earnest people have energy and power. This earnestness does not come from self-righteous achievement. Earnestness means I've been loved more deeply than I imagined. So let me go into some of the details here of this. This is, again, I just cut and pasted this. Um, again, number, th- number two, why is daily, even hourly reflection on free grace vital to the Christian moving forward in their spiritual gra- growth? Free grace. Every area of your life where there is to be obedience, every area of your life where there is to be followership between you and the, and the kingdom of God, every area you've got to drive free grace into your heart, be reminded of it. If you're sort of bitter uh, about your station in life right now, maybe you're bitter, maybe you're, you're bitter, you're, you're, uh, you're unsatisfied. Just life's unsa- Just the way your life's working out, uh, it's just not what you dreamed. All right. Let's drive now. Let's drive the free grace of God that's allowed you to know Jesus Christ. That's better than, that's better than the perfect life you want. Drive that knowledge, but I know Christ. God's mercy is coming to my heart. Think about your plans and your work uh, at work. Think of, think of the things you want, the things you want to accomplish, things that you desire, things that would really make your, your, your career. Just take off and go. What do you want out of life? Think about it. Now think about the free grace of God that accomplished remarkable things for you. Drive that into your heart. Oh, but I've got, but I've got salvation. I've got the kingdom of God. The meek shall inherit the earth. I've got, I've got something big. In other words, I've got a, the free grace of God for you. Um, number number three, how might repentance diminish or even remove pride, anxiety, and indifference in our lives? Well, to answer that, we need to go through the rest of this. Okay. So under deep humility, this is a quality of those who are repenting. Deep humility. Have I, fill in the blank if you'd like to, have I looked down on anyone? Have I looked down on anyone? Have I been too stung by criticism? Have I felt snubbed and ignored? And then repent like this. Consider the free grace of Jesus until I sense decreasing disdain. Since I am a sinner too, and I and decreasing pain over criticism, since I should not value human approval over God's love, in light of His grace, I can let go of the need to keep up a good image. It is too great a burden, and it is now unnecessary. I reflect on free grace until I experience grateful, restful joy. So this means that if you were and I were to reflect on the free grace of God toward us, where you were not brought into the kingdom because of anything in you, we believe in unconditional election. I mean, there, there's no condition inside you that God said, oh, I, I need another Scotsman. 
I need another person from this particular race or ethnicity or social economic class. I, none of that. There was no condition in you that drew God and said, that's the one I want part of my team. There was no condition in you. It is free grace alone. A mysterious grace has brought you into the kingdom of God. Now we have no, no reason to feel superior to anyone else. And we can identify and relate to sinners. Since I should not value human approval over God's love, in light of his grace, I can let go of the need to keep up a good image. It's too great of a burden. I reflect on free grace until I experience grateful, restful joy. Are you, are you, are you catching on to, are you catching on to what, what this might look like in your life? How about courage? Have I avoided people or tasks that I know I should face? Have I been anxious and worried? Man, I'm in this one. Have I failed to be circumspect or have I been rash and impulsive? Repent like this. Consider the free grace of Jesus until there is no cowardly avoidance of hard things. Since Jesus faced evil for me, and no anxious or rash behavior, uh, uh, no anxious or rash behavior, since Jesus' death proves that God cares and will watch over me. In other words, think about I, I can be an anxious person. But don't I if I think about God's salvation for me, didn't God organize the world pretty well to bring about my salvation? He brought me to an, uh, an understanding where I could, where he brought news to my heart where I responded. Wait a minute, someone else is in charge of this world. Someone else is organizing the details of my life. God is watching over me and he does care. It takes pride to be anxious. And I recognize that I am not wise enough to know how my life should go. I reflect on free grace until I experience calm thoughtfulness, and strategic boldness. This is why I brought up that illustration last week of the Airbnb in Atlanta. I was just kind of watching. I had two encounters with non-Christians while I'm supposed to be with 1,500 PCA elders. And I'm with these guys, but I'm also these two unique encounters with non-Christians. And I'm watching and thinking, huh, how is this happening? God is leading us. God is working. God is moving among us. It means that sometimes my schedule doesn't actually look like my schedule at all. In fact, it's his schedule, and God is bringing divine appointments. God is leading me. God is moving. God is changing priorities. The day is flexible, and watch Jesus as he works underneath a sycamore, sycamore tree. By Who might be up here? Zacchaeus. It's the movement of God's spirit. He's moving us. Reflect on this free grace. And then burning love. Have I spoken or thought unkindly of anyone? Am I justifying myself by caricaturing someone else in my mind? Writing someone else off. Have I been impatient and irritable? Have I been self-absorbed, indifferent, and inattentive to people? 
That's essentially the Corinthians. How do you repent? Consider the free grace until there is no coldness or unkindness as I think of the sacrificial love of Christ for me. No impatience as I think of his patience with me and no indifference as I think of, uh, of how God is infinitely attentive to me. What, what is Keller saying here? He's saying this gospel, we are to be aligned with it. Was God attentive to your needs when he found you? Absolutely. Was God not looking at something in you in order to attract him to you? Yes. Therefore, when you encounter other people, you don't, you don't, Act in a way that's different than the way God acted toward you. God received me as a sinner, and I was brought in. Now, as I encounter another sinner, I receive them as a sinner. I encounter them. I talk with them, engage them. The parable of the Good Samaritan. The two who bypass the Samaritan who's wounded on the road, the two are religious people who misunderstand the kingdom of God, misunderstand the priorities of God. And they believe that they are to keep an arm's length away from sinners. And so burning love is what we're called to have. Now, we don't have it. We can't bear the weight of love. Especially the, and the person we're trying to love we can't get the love from them. It's not coming from them. We have to fall into the love of God for us over and over again. Lord, how did I get invited to this party? How is it that I am in the kingdom of God? How is it possible that I am here? Lord, burn, move my heart with burning love like your love for me. That's it. So now all of this, these three subjects, humility, courage, and burning love, are subjects connected to repentance. So my final thought to you is this. Don't be surprised if you need to repent. And you're discovering the, the sinner that God saved, the coldness of heart, the indifference, I hope you know I'm with you. And that you, what's in your heart is, is, uh, is known by God. It doesn't define your relationship with God. It's just, it reveals the sinner that God brought into the kingdom. And now you have a platform. You have a platform to be it's, it's, it's almost something like you're going to traffic court for a parking ticket, but you've already been to the Supreme Court of the United States. <laughs> They've already, I was trying to think of how, to, how do you illustrate this so you have the freedom to know you're never going to be condemned and destroyed because the highest court of the land has already declared you uh, to be one who has met the law. See, that's what justification is saying. Justification is not saying we, we were not sinners. It's saying that we've met the requirement of the law. And the law says, law says, where's your righteousness? And we say, I don't have it, but I have it through Jesus. And the law says, all those who don't have righteousness, sinners, the requirement is death. Where's your death? And you say, I have that in Jesus. So justification is a, is a 
beautiful platform by which we can say, I am so well received. I can now move forward in the Christian life in repentance. And I hope you begin to explore this. hope you begin to, to test this out with your spouse. It's okay. Honey, I, I want to share something about my heart to you. And uh, I, wanna, I want you to pray for me. And, and then as you interact with each other in your relationships, perhaps again, a marriage or you young adults here, help people understand that they are not their performance. Their identity is in Christ. Build them up. Tell them something good about what it means to believe in Jesus. Tell them good things about their true identity and their true status. Build them, build them up. Build them up so they, this criticism, is it a criticism? Yeah, I guess. Hopefully it's a constructive criticism. But it's not going to destroy them, right? It's not going to destroy them. Oh, and somewhere in here is freedom. Somewhere in here is power. Somewhere in here is traction and earnestness and zeal and longing. And far better than a prescription, let me do a few things to get this off my back. It's true change of life. And I think you want that, and I want that. Let's pray. Lord, the Apostle Paul could boast in the Corinthians. Father, they were flawed people. Father, even in this epistle, he's going to bring out even more things about areas they could grow in. And yet he's boasting in them, Lord. Father, it's true that even now our Savior Jesus, our High Priest, sings. You sing over your people, Lord. You, the one who cried, it is finished. The one in heaven with the pierced hands and side and feet. We love you, Lord. Revive your people. Help us to grow in the grace of repentance. For your glory, in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we enjoy uh, the word.